This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to Politically Homeless. Glad to be here with you today. It's been an uh, interesting week or so over here at Politically Homeless HQ. Going to be making some changes. Uh, Got to launch a new YouTube channel, Start Fresh, with zero subscribers. I mean, we only have about 1,500 on the new on the current YouTube channel. But what happened was everything was going really great with the YouTube channel, what I'd had for a long time, I've been podcasting for a long time. But it was using it, and it was working well. But... um. I guess the amount the, the amount of COVID misinformation I shared um, was a problem. Was a problem for YouTube, and no shit. I mean, with even with fifteen hundred subs, like that's not a ton, um, and I don't really feel like I'm losing that much. I think we'll be able to to get some momentum on the new channel. Uh, I had to start it with a new email account, not linked to mine at all. And the reason I have to do that is because our our videos are getting like fifteen or twenty views. <laughs> I mean, it's like you know stuff could do six, seven, ten thousand on Instagram, uh, do well, longer form stuff on YouTube. Um, and it'll get like 15 views. It pisses me off. It's awful. It's the worst thing ever. Um, just frustrating. And we, we put time into this stuff and we want it to do well. So um, be expecting me to reach out on social media or on here on the podcast and just and just ask for a little help in getting some momentum on the new channel. Uh, you guys don't owe me anything, but it would be really helpful. Uh, it'll give you guys a, a little bit of a heads up when that's coming out this week. Um, we're going to be dropping all the videos there. And then we'll be doing some YouTube-only content as well. Just a little housekeeping for you there. One other thing, uh, we're not going to really discuss that shooting that happened on 4th of July. Um, here's why. I just discussed the shooting not long ago, went in depth. Um, it was exhausting. It was it was a lot. It was heavy. And my views haven't changed. They're the same as they were then. Um, just fill in, you know, just to replace the last shooting with this shooting. It's different. But as far as like what I think should happen in, the, in, the, in response to it, it's the same. So that's all there for you. I don't really feel like rehashing and getting into the details of some other um, evil person who decided it would be a good idea to rain bullets down out of a building into a crowd of people. That's just, it's awful. So, you know, somebody asked me, I'm doing a live later today on, on the gram and somebody asked me, how do you deal with your, uh, mental health dealing with all this bullshit? And my response to her in a private DM was not well, I'm actually not well at, I, don't, I am well, but it's, I don't handle it. Uh, uh, well, I think I'm a little more sensitive than I like to give myself credit for. And, uh, this stuff wears on me a lot and it's actually, I've noticed in myself and maybe this is, you know, I've, I've, I do my best and, and try to be a, a compassionate person, but I, I am kind of a dick deep down. I think it's why a lot of people are here is because I'm not afraid to kind of be a dick and do dickish things and say what I really feel. And I, that's great. But, um, yeah, I don't want to be like a bitter person. And a lot of this stuff just like, especially, in the comments or it's just social media stuff. It just, it makes me a bitter person. Shit gets to me that shouldn't, uh, but it does because I'm a human being and I've been really trying to figure some of that stuff out and even kind of reevaluating, um, the show and how we're doing the show and how we're doing content, um, going forward. So there are going to be some changes. That's what we've been working on over here behind the scenes. We got the new YouTube channel coming out. We're changing some things up. Um, going to be redesigning how we're doing merch. We're really trying to, we've been doing this for a couple of years now and, and getting figured out what we're going to do. And considering that you're here listening to this, you probably care. So, um, we're going to be doing three topic stories, whatever per episode, probably not going over that. Maybe even less than that sometimes with of course, the something to think about clip in there as well. Um, at the end of every episode, uh, 
doing seven, eight topics per show um, outside of the of the premium episodes on Patreon, which are different in the way that they're set up, uh, is just overwhelming. It, it's a lot. Um, and I don't really feel like uh, there's enough people doing that out there that that's not really where I feel like I add the most value. So we're going to be batching things together a little bit more. Um, the segments may be a little bit longer, but we'll try to move through them a little quicker and just try and, and provide something that I don't feel like is out there, which is really just kind of looking at through lines, big stories, what that means, what it says about us, what it says about where we're going. Um, things like that, you know, I think that's kind of where we're at, but this has been, this is an interesting game to play when, you know, you're kind of fighting against some censorship and I've got to be, I mean, even on this new YouTube channel, like we're just not going to put COVID content on there. It, I mean, I have to play the game and I, I hate that. I don't wish I wouldn't. I mean, if rumble wasn't a piece of garbage, that'd be great, but it is. Um, so <laughs> it's like the worst I can, trying to search things on there is like, it, it's, it's like an incompetent service. It doesn't make any sense at all to me personally. Um, so we just got to play the game and that's why I, you know, asking for help in the YouTube channel and just doing things like well, what I'm going to ask you guys to do is just like, I'll have other videos up, just click them and then just let it play through. Just let it mute it. If you already heard the stuff and just let it play through because that kind of stuff will get us momentum moving in the right direction. We get just got to bind our P's and Q's. You know, we went, we went balls deep into, into saying whatever the fuck we wanted to say on, on YouTube and we paid the price for that, you know, and just getting our, whatever dial there is behind the scene that turns things down or up, we're all the way down, <laughs> you know, we're at zero. Uh, and just looking at the analytics, it just makes absolutely no sense. So we're, we're changing things up and we're taking some risks and we're doing our thing. And I wanted to keep you guys in the know on that and just let you know that like, Hey, some of the times, you know, behind the mic over here doing the thing, it can get heavy. It can get weird. And it's hard, uh, sometimes to just be confronted with just, um, a lot of people want to come at you for whatever reason. And I've just getting more disciplined about just, just blocking people and be like, well, you're pro free speech. You don't want to, you're going to block people now. It's like, yeah, I'm going to block you. I don't want just because I'm pro free speech doesn't mean that I have to tolerate people that annoy me, you know? And maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's just, I, I reserve the right to block somebody just because I don't want to deal with your bullshit, you know? And that, that's where I'm at. I, 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 I don't have time, you know? And that's one thing people just feel so entitled to your time. You know, the only people that are really entitled to my time, or people in the Patreon, <laughs> like they're, they're entitled to something from me. Um, but other than that, like some random person on the internet, I mean, I have to remind people sometimes, like, I don't know you, dude. I don't know you, and I don't really give a fuck what you have to say. I'm just sharing my perspectives here. I don't claim to be right about everything, or like I'm just, I'm, I'm sharing. This is what we're doing here. You know, I could pretend that uh, I, I am an all-knowing and all-seeing being, like some people try to do, but I'm not. And I make mistakes, and I do my thing, but... It's just weird, man. It's weird, and it's 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 exhausting, and it's emotionally just kind of draining. Um, but I do love doing this stuff, so it's I'm in this weird place. Um, so yeah, you know who really drives me the most crazy though? <laughs> Here's the thing: as I'm just complaining about social media, is the uh, the patriots out there. The patriots are the worst. If you have an American flag in your bio, like, and you're coming at me, like, it's it, it, it and you know. Being patriotic is cool, like be patriotic, but we've taken at this point, like casually in my like close friend groups, just calling using the term patriot as a as a slang term for just conservative assholes. You know? Like they just don't ever want to see the bigger picture. They only see the narrative. And they're like, oh, well, it's the free thought. I think free. I do much. It's like you're just, you you have zero opinions that differ from Tucker Carlson. <laughs> so it's like, what are you actually doing? I mean, we've got guys, this is funny here in, uh, out here in Golden, Colorado. It's like, 
there's a for every reason there's this new trend of people like driving around with full size like big American flags uh, in the back of their truck. They have like a flagpole that's like attached to the back of their truck, and they're just driving around with these flags on. And these are the same guys that are you know complaining about gas prices, which gas prices are terrible and it's frustrating, and I hate filling up my car, and it's obnoxious, and it's it was avoidable, and I hate it. At the same time, I'm also not going to attach a parachute to the back of my car and then complain about gas prices. Like if you have if you drive a 1996 F-150, like and you have a, a, a 40-foot American flag flying out the back of it, like, you really kind of don't really have the, uh, the, the ability to criticize gas prices when you're knowingly limiting. I mean, drive, drive your old F-150. That's great. Those are cool trucks, and they last forever. Um, but maybe take some measures to, you know, meet the moment. Uh, but I get it. you got to be a patriot. Right, so it's just like become this slang term now, which is kind of sad because being patriotic is something I think is really cool. Aside from the fact that, really, at the end of the day, no one really earned their right to be here, right? Unless you're unless you immigrated here, you just kind of fell out of a person here. You didn't do anything to get here. Now, immigrants can have a different conversation. I mean, I think illegal immigrants probably the most patriotic people there are because they actually took some risks to get here. So, (laughs) so it's like they they really fucking sent it. You got to reevaluate that whole situation. But you know. We've got, we've got to really think about this whole thing. And it's sad that like the term patriot has just been beaten to death where it just means nothing. It's like patriot, socialist, communist. None of these words actually mean anything anymore. They're just slang terms to mean like the person I don't like on the other side of the political spectrum from me. It's so weird. And it's annoying because like these words need to mean something. They need to like the word socialist needs to actually mean something, you know, but Fox news beat it to death calling school lunches socialism or communism, right? It's like, so the McCarthy era just like ruined the ability to have rational discourse. And it's, it's completely obnoxious. Uh, I also want to recommend that you guys listen to the uh, podcast with Lex Friedman and Richard Wolff. He's a Marxist economist and I'm not a Marxist, but I think that there's some validity in what those people have to say and, and understanding what Marxism was and how that morphed into communism and how, these different places do communism different. I'm not going to be like one of those people that says, well, communism was never done right. So that's the reason it hasn't worked. Like I'm not that guy, but I actually, unlike many conservatives who say this, right? I think that a marketplace of ideas is really important. And that includes socialism, Marxism, libertarianism, anarchism, all kinds of shit, right? Like that's really a, a, a vast array of viewpoints on the world. That is what a marketplace of ideas looks like. That is what free speech looks like you know we're actually going to get into what what some conservatives this this narrative they're pushing now about separation of church and state and kind of where that's going that's going to be on the show today but which and you guys know where i'm going with that but it's uh it's it's strange to me that it's like i want free speech and a marketplace of ideas except for those ideas and i'm like well then you're just the same as the other side who's like yeah we like you know like gavin newsom saying he's california's a like a state that values freedom it's like what no, no, you don't. Like we don't have a we don't have a political party that that supports free pro freedom. You know, that's just not like there's there's one that's maybe marginally better now, but given leverage, they'll restrict freedoms that they don't agree with, right? Based on their ideology, which we're seeing Roe v. Wade, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just a weird time. It's a weird time where, like, I think what's making this kind of Orwellian is that both sides, this kind of uniparty have have co-opted speech and manipulated speech in such a way that words that used to mean something now mean nothing, and that's actually quite dangerous. 
quite dangerous. And it's, I mean, this time too, this, we're in this weird place, or I'm in this weird place really, where I'm seeing people that I really appreciate. And this has happened with, with two prominent figures in my kind of self-development life, Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, in opposite directions have just become characters of themselves. Um, I'm actually doing something for YouTube only, just kind of talking about this Jordan Peterson, Elliot Page uh, thing. And I'm like, dude, you, you remind me of the neighbor from Dennis the Menace. Like, you're just like a get-off-my-lawn boomer now. And watching someone who I really appreciated and has had a positive impact on my life and, and had respect for and um, defended many times just, just turned into, like, a, 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 I don't even know, like a Canadian Sean Hannity. It's just like the weirdest thing. And I'm like, man, I thought you were, I thought you were better than this. And I get being villainized by like one side generally is, is can turn somebody kind of bitter. But then I, I think I noticed that in, in, in Jordan Peterson, and then started seeing it in myself, like the bitterness coming in. And I was like, Ooh, I need to like pump the brakes. I need to pump the brakes. Cause I'm seeing this happen with somebody who I admired. Uh, and now I'm just kind of like, I just kind of, you know, take everything they say with a grain of salt, which I do with anybody, but like with Jordan Peterson, it wasn't as prevalent as I needed to be like checking myself for his own, his, his, his silly ass biases. And it's, I thought he was, I thought he was better than that. It's just, we, it's weird, you know, it's strange and just picking the strangest hills to die on. It's like, is that really the way you want to live your life? And so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that. And again, I wouldn't notice it if it wasn't something that was in my own personal life that I need to be mindful of. So Lots of stuff going on over here. Lots of thoughts uh, about where we're going and what we're doing and how we're going about doing it. But y'all's support is always appreciated. Again, if you really want to support the show, the best place to do that is in the Patreon, patreon.com slash politically homeless. There's a link in the show notes of this show as well. Um, bonus episode every week. Even if I don't put out a public show, the Patreon's always getting their content. They get that bonus show every week, crowdsourced from the Patreon for the Patreon. And it's grown lately. I really appreciate all of you guys that are in the Patreon doing doing the work and uh, posting up like great topics and things to dive into and exposing me to things that I may have missed, uh, which is one of my favorite things about the Patreon. It actually influences the public show quite a bit because, you know, I can't stay tuned in on everything. And some people have kind of these like niche um, uh, expertise and they, they share things that I didn't see or notice. And I'm like, oh, okay. And they share perspectives on that, which is so fucking cool. Um, and those weekly episodes are some of my favorite things I get to do every single week. So if you want to check that out, patreon.com slash politically Homeless now. Let's get to the show. Talking Trump and Biden, trust in institutions. Oh, we got so much stuff today. So much good stuff. Church of State. What else we got? Oh, we're going to talk a little bit about conservation too. That one's just for me. Let's go. So 2024 is going to be here before we know it. It's going to be here before we know it. And we're starting to see some numbers letting us know kind of what the people want. What do the people want, right? That's supposed supposed to be what runs this bitch. This is the United States of America. What the people want matters, right? Whether you think it's a republic or a democracy or a democratic republic, whatever you want to call it. The, the people's influence on our on our representatives is is a vital part of the American way, or so they say. Now let's check this out. Most Americans don't want Trump or Biden to run again. Poll finds. It's from Forbes. 
Just 29% of Americans want President Joe Biden to run for re-election, while 39% want former President Donald Trump to run in 2024, according to a poll released Friday by Harvard's University Center for American Political Studies and Harris Insight and Analytics. Among those who said they didn't want the 79-year-old Biden to run again, the most common stated reason was that he's a bad president, 45%. That's astonishing. (laughs) Too old at 30%, and it's time for a change at 26%. Which I think that all of those things, like he's, he's... a bad president because he's too old and it's time for a change. (laughs) These are all like, it's like those all kind of are underneath the umbrella of being a bad president. In my opinion, meanwhile, the most popular rationale for not supporting Trump's campaign was because he's erratic. 36% will divide the country. 33% and his responsibility for the January 6th insurrection. Um, riot 30%. So we're looking at that. It's like, yeah. And this again, it's all kind of, his erraticness, erratic, erraticness, I guess is how you would say that. Maybe not. I don't know. But you get what I'm saying. L- does divide the country and did lead to the riots on January 6th. So it's, they're all kind of nested over under one thing. Like th- there's a broad concept here that kind of ties these all together. The poll is conducted among 1,308 registered voters on June 28th and 29th. The survey found that an increasing share of people believe the country's on the wrong track. 75% of respondents, up from 62 last month, said that. Th- said that, uh, wait, what, whoa, 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 hang on, 75% of respondents up from 62% last month's poll and just 39% in June 2021. So just look at that. Look at that, 39 in June 2021 to 62 last month and then 70. We're just like, the vast majority of the country is so displeased with how this is all shaking out. The polls, the poll found just 32% of Americans approve of Biden's, Biden's handling of the economy overall. Who are the 32%? Who are those 32%? I guarantee those people have Ukrainian flags hanging out in front of their house. The poll found just 32% of Americans approve of Biden's handling of the economy overall, a low since he took office, while 28% approve of his handling of inflation, also a low. So, you know, here's where we're at. It's crazy. A surprising fact. This is funny. Surprising fact. Trump leads Biden 44% to 39% in a hypothetical 2024 rematch. That's a surprise? That is not a surprising fact. That is... I mean, this is, it speaks to where we're at as a nation, that these two of these inept candidates are who we're even having a conversation about. I mean, neither one of these people ever should have been in the White House, you know? I mean, outside of the Obama administration with Biden, but still, in the Oval Office, neither one of these motherfuckers should have been in there, but it is what it is. Now, to kind of speak to where people are, or the, the crumbling of the Biden luster, I guess you could call it, uh, is is pervasive. It's quite pervasive. It says, we got there from the New York Post, Joe's a lost cause. No plan, no hope from Biden, say blunt lefties. Now, of course, the New York Post is kind of a right-leaning organization, so there's a little bit of inflammation in here, and this is kind of written as an opinion article, even though I don't think it's marked as such. It says, for Joe Biden, the calls are now coming from inside the House. <laughs> a little scream reference there. On a volatile group chat of left-leaning celebrities and Biden apparatchiks, CNN reporters that reports that anger was in the air. Willing Grace star Deborah Messing was apparently yelling that there was no point to voting. She was fed up. 
When you've lost Deborah Messing, <laughs> meanwhile, former Obama, Obama political guru David Axelrod said the administration looks out of control. No shit. Democrats had hoped the dramatic reversal of Roe versus Wade last month would be a boon to their prospects in November, that it would light a fire under their voters and drive them to the polls. But so far, the fire from the left is directed at the White House itself. Holy shit. It's like being a bunch of do-nothing fucks for decades has finally turned into resentment for the Democratic Party from within the Democratic establishment and the Democratic base. Funny. Funny how that works. It only took 20 fucking years. It only took that long for people to understand. It only took from the Clinton era (laughs) for us to realize that these motherfuckers are not looking out for our best interests and are only in it for themselves. Funny how that works. Funny how when the party decided to depart from the party of FDR... And it turned into the party of Bill fucking Clinton. It took that. It took this long for us to realize that was a bad idea to ditch the working class and become the party of white coast or white collar coastal elites. That was a bad idea. That was a bad idea, and we're just now realizing it. And even Deborah Messing from Real and Grace is uh, turning turning her tune here. <sighs> The, uh, despite the norm leak, the norm exploding leak from the court, the administration still was caught flat-footed when the decision dropped. Aides were literally out getting coffee, leading to the president's weak and widely panned remarks. Does he have a plan? Spoiler alert: th- Those didn't pay attention to Afghanistan, build back better, or COVID, or any other uh, bungled task. He doesn't have a plan. No. Now, Afghanistan was handled relatively poorly, but that was always going to be a shit show, and I will die on that hill. Um, and I'm glad that that's like the only thing that 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 Biden did that really made any sense at all, even though it was done poorly. But what can you expect? What has the United States uh, military done overseas? That wasn't done. Even even getting a hold of Osama bin Laden was a shit show. It crashed a fucking helicopter <laughs> in the process. Like so much has been done poorly, but getting out of Afghanistan was the right move. It just wasn't done super well. Um, but yeah, yeah, he doesn't have a plan. No, no. And their response to this, look at this photo of Deborah Messing, by the way. Like that's just not a flattering photo. Um, the response, like they could have had a million things. Here's with with Roe versus Wade, and this could have been a time, right? If if the 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 leaked opinion would have came out, Democrats organized and did some really common sense things, right? Because they can put legislation on the floor. They could have said, okay, we're gonna do one and do these separately, right? Rape, rape and incest federal exemptions from whatever laws are at the state. Rape and incest federal exemptions, right? Do a separate one um, for birth defect issues, uh, threats to the mother. Like that way that these doctors, because a lot of these doctors in these states that have banned abortions, like the the fines are 10 years in prison, $100,000, sometimes both. So they're scared to even do their job to create medical interventions when medical interventions are are needed, even though it's not a voluntary birth control style um, or what the right would call a birth control style abortion. Like there's, there's serious complications and they need to terminate the pregnancy. It's a really sad thing. It's not somebody who wanted to do that, but they have to make the best choice for themselves. Same thing goes for, for developmental issues, uh, like down syndrome. I understand that's a very, a very contentious topic, but that's a, that's a decision somebody needs to be able to make personally for themselves. Because when you do have a child that has the level of need that someone with down syndrome or a similar issue has, not that those people don't deserve to be alive. I get it. But at the same time, the amount of money. And the amount of resources that's going to take is is exorbitant. Like you're going to put yourself in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt with medical issues, 
You have to have a full-time caretaker and things like that, which most people don't have access to. If you do and you want to bring a child like that into the world, more power to you. You're a fucking hero. I get it. But at the same time, we can't expect everyone to have that level of resource. They could put that on the floor. They could say, hey, we're going to put out a 12-week right, guaranteed for 12 weeks and then make some kind of compromises. Put that on the floor and just see who votes for it. See what the votes are and then use that. But there was zero organization. One thing you can say about the pro-life right or uh, I should start saying this, the anti-abortion right. I'm trying to change that that uh, rhetoric a little bit within myself here. One thing, is, one thing you can say about them is that they're very organized. They are very organized. Um, and it shows. It shows. They've been working on this diligently for a long, long time. Since Roe v. Wade was, um, was decided by the Supreme Court in 1973. I mean, they've been on this for a long time. And have now finally gained a, bit, a little bit of leverage because they've lost every culture war since then. And they were clowns for a long time. And they still kind of are, in my opinion, but a very organized group of clowns um, that are able to make things happen. So it's really, really interesting. And then if we look at that in, in conjunction with this new Gallup poll here, conf- confidence in U.S. institutions is down average at new lows. So let's we'll look at this chart here. Um, change in Americans' confidence in major U.S. institutions 21 to 22. So 2021 to 2022. It says, and here's the question was asked, how the question was asked. Now I'm going to read you a list of institutions in American society. Please tell me how much confidence you have yourself. Um, you yourself have in each one a great deal, quite a lot, some or very little. So small businesses here, 78, 70% in 2021, uh, 68% in 2022, a marginal difference there, probably with inside the margin of error. The military still has some support. The police went from 51% to 45. Um, eh, that probably should be a little bit less than that. I mean, now faith in the police to like do police shit yet should you trust every police officer just because no absolutely not the medical system went from 44 to 38 again i think that should probably be lower the church or organized religion went from 37 percent to 31 because their behavior has been quite atrocious over the past year in my opinion public schools have gone from 32 to 28 again these are small dips but they are they do matter right organized labor has stayed the same at 28 percent Banks, I don't know why that's as high as it is at 33 and then 27 in 2022. Large tech companies from from 29 to 26. So a little drop there in large tech companies. The U.S. Supreme Court, now this was was done before um, the leak uh, for Roe v. Wade, or the decision came down, excuse me, um, went from 36 to 25. So that's a big drop there, one of the biggest on on record here. The presidency went from 38% to 23%. And that's not going to change, right? I'm sure that was I – w- I wonder what that was in, like, the Obama era. Um, kind of the last time we had, like, a real president, even though he did some really dumb shit. Yeah, weird. Newspapers from 21% to 16%. Criminal, ju- criminal justice system from 20 to 14 Big business from 18 to 14 Television news from 16 to 11%. You can't even fit the 11 inside of the little bar here. Congress from 12 to 7%. Now, these are the big ones, right? Big business, television news, Congress. Newspapers, I feel like, do a better job than television news. But let's just think about these big business, television news, and Congress. These are where a lot of the attention gets spent, right? Look how little faith America has in these institutions and has had in these institutions. But think about who drives the narratives and who makes the decisions on what happens in this country. Primarily, these three organizations or three institutions that have between a, on average, about one in 10 Americans trust these institutions and have faith in them. On average, about 10% of Americans have faith in these institutions and they 
run our narratives, the decision-making process, our regulations. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. So what we're looking at here is kind of an America that's, in my opinion, pretty fucked. I mean, and the reasons why we don't trust these institutions, it varies. There's not a one, there's not a, a one reason in this whole thing, right? Like we don't trust the, the office of the president and we haven't for, for a long time. You know, you can start, you can go back to the, what happened with Bush, Iraq, Afghanistan, how that all shook out. You can go into all the Obama years and how he promised things that never happened and, and was owned by Citibank, it seems, and the bailouts. Like the it, it, big business has, has done itself no, no, no favors in this whole situation. Congress the same, right? But the reasons we distrust these people are for very different reasons. So there's not a, a not a, a single solution to really to to create more faith in these institutions. And I was actually at the Heterodox Conference, and uh, Bacha Sargon was was speaking, and I actually wanted to ask this question so bad because it was a really great panel of people from a, a very diverse um, backgrounds. I wanted to ask, and, and this is the real question, and something worth thinking about: like, will these institutions realize that they've lost our trust? They've lost the trust of the American public because they don't deserve it. They didn't, they didn't earn the trust. They didn't respect the American people. And will there ever come a time where they decide they need to earn back our trust? Now, the, you'll see the reasons that, like, let's just say television news, right? Rachel Maddow will blame uh, the lack of trust in MSNBC on, on Trump and, and misinformation. And if you go to Fox News, it's kind of the same in the other direction. It's... You know, everybody wants to play the victim. These large institutions that have so much power always want to play the victim. And they never take a a second to step back and say, hey, maybe we should take some time and like really understand how we can earn trust, earn trust in our institution. We need to, we need to earn it back with action. Not a bunch of bullshit, right? Virtue signaling left, right? Whatever it is, where they get, we're going to earn it back. And is there ever going to be a presidential candidate, right? As we're looking at nobody wanting Trump or Biden. But that being very likely being the the way we go about it. Now, I think running Biden as a Democrat right now is actually the best move, right, for the Democratic establishment. is to run Biden, let him get beat to death, because that's what's going to happen if he even makes it that far. He's going to get absolutely blown out. And then you don't waste another candidate that you like. That being said, I'd rather be somebody like Pete Buttigieg. Kamala Harris is a joke. So Pete Buttigieg, let him get the shit beat out of him so he doesn't look electable at all. And then you lose the electability um, narrative going into later elections. So you just, let's just burn your shitty candidates, all of them, as you, if you can, right? Joe Biden's burned. Kamala Harris is burned. Burn Pete Buttigieg. And then you've lost your kind of like th- your little three-headed dragon there as far as like what's your, your hopes for the future, and you've got to completely reevaluate yourself. The better option for me as far as like what would be, what would be better for the people, now that would be better for the establishment because then they could like reevaluate how they want to have somebody pretend to be a, a populist from the left and all this other bullshit that does actually absolutely nothing, kind of like Obama's second coming. Um, what I think would be better is a complete over overhaul of the Democratic Party by force, right? By an, by an outsider coming in and taking over that party and and doing what Trump did with the Republican Party, right? Somebody from the populist left, ideally, uh, probably somebody with some celebrity. I brought up Mark Cuban several times, somebody like that, um, because America gets hard for celebrities for some fucking reason. Um, it is what it is. You got to play the game. You've got to play the game. So. This is where we're at. I mean, it's 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 really, yeah, it, it's really challenging to wrap your mind around like how little we trust these institutions, right? But then when you actually zoom out and think about all they've done over the decades, just whittle away our respect in them, 
it's quite interesting. It's it's just really it really is something to see. And it seems like when it comes to the DNC and the RNC, the establishments of both these parties, it's like they would prefer for us not to have a quality candidate so they can keep us distracted and kind of LARP as culture warriors while they have to do nothing of value, nothing of substance and take very little risk. But hey, that's just me. That's just what I think. It just seems to be the the logical conclusion. I don't know. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creator of the Element Beverage. It comes in a nice little sleek pack. You can throw it in your pocket. You can throw it in your golf bag. You can throw it in your backpack. You can have a box in your car. They're so easy to keep around because the thing that you need to always be focused on, right, is staying hydrated, baby. Keep yourself moist on the inside. It is important for your cells to stay moist. They need to be lubricated to be high-functioning. And we want high-functioning cells in our body, in our muscles, in our brain, in our bones. Guys, you need it. Even though you don't know you need it, you may not know you need it, but you need it. And here's the here's the offer from Element right now. They changed it up a little bit. If you go to drinkelement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com, slash wanders, link is in the show notes, you're going to get a free variety pack with your order. Now, what they have in here is salt, magnesium, vital electrolytes, right? Right now it's hot as fuck and I've been playing a lot of golf. I probably hammer like two of these elements out there. One on the turn every time, especially if I'm drinking a little bit of booze. If I have a couple beers, element doing it. Gotta stay hydrated, baby. Gotta stay hydrated to keep that game tight. And what's coming up is the fall, right? I'll be out there hunting a lot. Element again, always with me, always in that blender bar in the, uh, in my Nalgene bottle, just staying hydrated, man. Cause there's at altitude, even though, especially when it's not super hot, but that sun's out and I'm putting in six, seven, 10 miles a day. Gotta stay hydrated, man. It's super crucial. Now, if you just like, to, if you just like to work out or you're doing a paleo keto, uh, low carb type vibe got going on with your food. Well, that's good too. You're going to need those electrolytes because you're not getting them elsewhere and they're not as present in our natural environment as we wish they were. So we got to supplement with them and it makes our life better. An element is fantastic. There's also zero sugar. Zero sugar. So even if you're trying to have some fun in the summertime and you want to make yourself a little little skinny margarita, then go ahead and get that citrus, baby. Maybe a little watermelon margarita. Throw a little bit of that watermelon and that grapefruit in there with your mix. Tequila and Element is a good combo. Now, here's what I think. If you're going to get that variety pack with my promo code because you're going to go buy this stuff right now, right? DrinkElement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com, slash wanders. Link is in the show notes. Get that variety pack for sure, but there's a couple of flavors that I think if you're just like, I haven't tried this yet, I want to try it, watermelon and grapefruit. They're so fucking good. You cannot go wrong with either one of those flavors, and then get the variety pack, and you can try all the other, the most popular flavors, right? See what you like out of that, but if you want to commit right now, watermelon and grapefruit are fucking bomb. Absolutely bomb. So if you want to get that variety pack, I suggest you get one of those two flavors. You're going to love it. And then try the other ones and see what you see what you like the best and then go that way. So drinkelement.com, you're going to get a free variety pack with your order. Make it happen. Links in the show notes. Stay moist, my friends. So I feel like I take a pretty principled stance when it comes to religion and the church. Um, it's, been, it's caused a little bit of controversy in my own show and a bit of a shit show uh, here and there. But, you know, when you think about separation of church and state, it, it's at this point, it's, de- it's deeply embedded in the tradition of the United States. Um, I think it's a good idea from both sides. I think it's a good idea from the church. I think it's a good idea from the government to say, hey, you guys can do your thing over there as long as you're not breaking any laws. 
uh, we'll stay out of it and uh, you don't have to pay taxes, which I kind of hate, but it is what it is. And the church saying to the, the federal government, like, hey, we're not going to we're not going to try and, um, you know, step overstep. But lately and it's just happened, it kind of happens in like pushes over over time. Um, this 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 idea that church and state need to be intertwined has become more and more popular on the further on the far right. Now, I think you know, when we think about this and look at separation of church and state and, and its 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 role in our country, um, we got to understand that when we're thinking about the founding fathers and, and what those people meant and how they thought and, and the world they lived in, we do need to put it in context. And I don't know if it's the best idea to to really take uh, the opinions around church and state um, that seriously from people that weren't far removed from a time where where people were burning witches. Like I think that if you're, you know, like the, the, the QAnon of the time, um, in the 1700s were like people that thought it was a good idea to burn witches, you know, like your crazy uncle at Thanksgiving would be talking about how, you know, it, it's not, it wasn't this, it's not the satanic pedophile cult. It's the witches. Like it's the same thing, right? Like that, that's the person at like your first Thanksgiving, the crazy uncle was like, yeah, we need to burn those fucking witches. Like that's maybe that era isn't the time to emulate when it comes to how we construct a society, um, but I'm going to play a few clips here from from some of my favorite far righties, uh, Lauren Boebert and uh, Charlie Kirk, as well as somebody from OAN. So let's hear what Lauren Boebert has to say about separation of church and state while doing something at a, a Cornerstone Church, a Cornerstone Christian Center. I'm sure this is here in Colorado. The reason we had so many overreaching regulations in our nation is because the church complied. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. That is not how our founding fathers intended it. And I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk that's not in the Constitution. It was in a stinking letter, and it means nothing like what they say it does. Okay. So the words separation of church and state aren't in the Constitution, in the same way the word abortion or terminating pregnancy isn't in the Bible, right? But you see what I'm saying here? When you're interpreting old-ass shit, like you got to use the best context clues you can to kind of infer what, what they mean. So let's go on and listen to uh, Charlie Kirk here. Well, it's so sick because South American and Central American countries are actually very religious and very Catholic, so they're going into religious countries with almost missionary fervor to go and try to make these countries less religious. And again, there is no separation of church and state. It's a fabrication. It's a fiction. It's not in the Constitution. It's made up by secular humanists. It's derived from a single letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Convention. Of course, we should have church and state mixed together. Our founding fathers believed in that. We can go through the details of that. They established literally a church um, in Congress. Anyway, separate issue. The point, though, is that this is acting like a religion, though, isn't it? If, if we live by their own false premise of separation of church and state, then why on earth and how on earth would, why would they want to go bring this belief to other countries? I mean, they're, they're almost kind of as if it was the 1400s and they're sending missionaries to the new world filled with despotic, nihilistic atheism and humanism. I mean, what's the thought process behind this? Yeah, well, such, a, so such a strange 
idea here, Charlie. Like, I, I don't. I mean, what about atheists, humanists, and, and this thing? It's you're, one. It's an ultimate straw man. Like you're straw manning people that don't believe in your mythology as if they are are less than. So when you talk about church and state, do you mean all churches? So Islamic churches, Buddhist meditation centers, and retreat centers. Um. Uh. Fucking. Uh. Feder- uh what, are they, what are they? Fundamentalist Mormons? Like all of them? All, so all of them should be intertwined in the government. All of them. Or is it your specific blend of Christianity, right? Because to act that Christianity was the same as it now as it is in 1776 is, is, is incredibly naive. And again, even at that time, there was a wide variation between different types of Christianity, different types of belief systems. And it's not really abundantly clear that these founding fathers, you deify, um, have or even that religious in the first place. We're going to talk about that, but this also emboldens um, things like this, like this this mindset. And you can see the talking points are very much the same. It's not in the Constitution; it was in a letter. Like they're they're coordinated and they're very organized. Like I said, so let's listen to this uh, this lady from OAN, um, Allison Steinberg, um, when she went home to California. To San Diego, and guess what? I came home to be greeted with this fucking bullshit. What the hell is that? It's a pride flag. She's in San Diego, California, and there is. A, this is like an old school pride flag too. This is like the. This is like, this is probably some like conservative gays here because they don't have all the, the. They don't have the the other stuff in there. This is just like classic pride. Huntington Beach is the town of good old fashioned, hardworking American people. The people that worked all through the COVID lockdowns. Yes, that's. So gay people can't be hardworking Americans. People that are proud of being gay. So you can be proud to be an American, which you didn't choose. You just unless you immigrated here. Like I said, you can be proud to be an American, right? I'm proud to be an American because at least I know I'm free, right? And as Jordan Peterson would say, do you remember when pride was a sin? Weird. Um, but you can't on your own property, right? On your own property, put up a pride flag. This fucking bullshit, Allison. This fucking bullshit. Hard-working Americans can't be gay. Hard-working men can't suck a little dick. Hard-working women can't munch a little rug, dude. Come on. Huntington Beach never shut down through any of the COVID nonsense fuckery. What does that have to do and with gay people? Peddling this garbage? What the hell? Listen, I'll say this right now about the gays, by the way. And gays out there, comment on this video and let me know if I'm right here. Gays, the gays out there, especially the gay men, gave the least fuck about COVID from my understanding. Because the thing about gay men is they actually dealt with a real pandemic, you know, the AIDS crisis. <laughs> like their friends, like a lot of their friends, if they were old enough, and this is still, they, they understand this shit, right? The gays were still partying, right? They were still doing nose beers. They didn't give a fuck. They were pissed. So really, I think you should align yourself. If you were anti-lockdown, you should align yourself with the gay boys. You know what I mean? Why wouldn't you? I did. And here I am. I'm doing great. What is this? The only flag that's together there is that American flag. It's a disgrace to our city and it should be taken down immediately. Whoever the hell is running this town needs to be fired. Okay. So that's Allison Steinberg from OAN. So this is like, and I feel like these are all kind of the same things. They're all kind of emboldened versions of one another, right? Like Lauren Boebert, Charlie Kirk, who, by the way, has packed on a few pounds, boy. I want to get in the gym, my friend. Started to look real Trumpy Dumpy over there. Anyways, moving on. And then Allison Steinberg, who's kind of a babe, but also crazy. Like, can you imagine if you swipe right on this broad in Huntington Beach 
And then you're like, oh, hey, like, what do you do for a living? She's like, fuck gay people. This is fucking bullshit. And like, what? I'm just trying to get to know you. Yeah, well, there's a fucking pride flag outside and I'm upset about it. It's like, well, this is, it was nice to meet you, Allison. I'm going to go ahead and uh, fuck off. <laughs> like, can you imagine? She's like catfishy with her craziness. So anyways, now the separation of church and state. Let's talk about this. Um, where can I find separation of church and state in the Constitution? Answer. Although most people believe the words separation of church and state are actually in the Constitution, the words cannot be found there. Whether, rather, they are words penned by Thomas Jefferson in a letter which explains the First Amendment of the Constitution, or at least Jefferson's view of it. The actual words in the First Amendment of the Constitution read as follows. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So when I read that, I think, okay, Congress shall make no law that... Uh, no law respecting the establishment of religion. So nothing involved, like they're not going to get involved in, in making a recognized religion or prohibiting a, a, a religion from existing, right? And recognizing itself. That's what I read in that, right? Which is separation of church and state. Now, in the fall of 1801, the Danbury Convention, Baptist Association, excuse me, Danbury Baptist Association sent Jefferson a written address congratulating him on his election, third president of the United States. In his reply on January 1st, 1802, Jefferson penned these now famous words. I contemplate with sovereign reverence the act that the whole American people, which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting a free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between Church and state. Okay. According to the Library of Congress in 1802, presidential replies to public addresses were prime vehicles for the expression and dissemination of partisan views. Such replies would be carefully drafted with a view towards advancing the writer's political agenda. All right. Now, so, okay, well, that's one person. That's one of our founding fathers, which that, that term wasn't even coined until uh, much later, right? They didn't really know they were the founding fathers when they were the founding fathers. So we're going to read through um, these the, the common, the most common founding fathers and what their um, religious beliefs were. And just got to get a little bit more context on that. And again, we're doing a little bit of a history lesson here, but that's okay. And again, if you want to take anything from an old book, right, or an old document, you can, make, you can find a quote from a, somebody who's not around anymore that you can't ask their opinion and make it mean whatever you want it to mean, right? You can do that with self-help. You can do that with religion. You can do that with politics. You can figure it all out, right? Out of context things. If you ever see those like out of context Hitler quotes, you can see like, it's like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. And it's like Adolf Hitler. It's like, well, you can find anything out of context and make it mean what you want it to mean. Um, so let's go through here and just read a few about the, the most common uh, nine founding fathers and kind of where they were at on the uh, on the religious spectrum. Because at the time, the, you know, religion was a much a much more raw experience. And again, there were very many, uh, uh, many variations within the Christian, specifically, um, orientation. George Washington, as required by colonial Virginia law, he was baptized as an infant into the Anglican Episcopalian Church, which he occasionally attended in his earlier adult years. According to his diaries on rare occasions after the early 1770s, he attended the state-supported Episcopalian Anglican Church, a Roman Catholic church, and at least once a Quaker meeting. Washington never participated in Christian communion, calling into question any formal religious affiliation as an adult, and in his, and in his day was often called a deist. In 
in all his voluntary writings, he referred to Jesus Christ only once, impersonally, in relation to a treaty with the Delaware Indians. Now, a deist, is, I don't really know what this was, um, one who believes in the existence of a personal God, but in few or none of the more sp- uh, special doctrines of the Christian religion. One who holds some of the more general positions of the Christian faith concerning the deity, but denies revelation and the authority of the church. And another meaning here is... One who holds the opinion that there is a God, but no divine province governing the affairs of men. One who holds that God is not only distinct from the world, but also separated from it. Um, and the synonyms here are atheist, skeptic, and infidel. So keep that in mind. Now, John Adams. As a non-traditional Unitarian, his views fell outside the realm of the Orthodox Christianity. Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Jefferson was a leading deist who voiced respect for Jesus as a human teacher of moral truths, only occasionally attending church services and rejecting the doctoral teachings of the Bible. Other than Baptists, who loved Jefferson for allying with them on um, enacting religious liberty for all and church-state separation in the new American nation, many Christians of the day dismissed Jefferson as a heretic, infidel, and even an atheist. Okay. So we're getting to it here, right? And I, I, honestly, Thomas Jefferson seems to have a really, I, I like the grasp that he seemed to have on Christianity. That's kind of more, I feel a much more appropriate um, way of viewing that belief system. James Madison, um, a leading deist. Madison sometimes attended Episcopalian Anglican Church, uh, yet strongly opposed efforts by church leaders to extend colonial theocracy to the new nation, instead working along Baptists to enact religious liberties for all and church-state separation. John Jay, an Anglican. Jay is only one is is the only one of the primary founding fathers who could have legitimately been considered an Orthodox or Evangelical Christian. Alexander Hamilton, not a church member. Alexander Hamilton was known for exploiting Christianity for political purposes, although he evidenced some semblance of personal religion after 1801. Benjamin Franklin. Baptized as an infant, as required by colonial law, and raised as an Episcopalian, Franklin became a deist in adulthood and rarely attended church. One month before his death, he wrote a letter in which he summarized his creed as belief in a creator of the universe and the moral teachings of Jesus, but not in the divine Christ. In addition to two other men, James Monroe, a deist, Monroe sometimes attended the Episcopalian church, Thomas Paine, like most of the founding fathers, Payne was a deist who was not an active churchman and who rejected Orthodox Christianity. Payne summarized his his creed as, my own mind is my own church. So when um, when Charlie Kirk's talking about humanists, it seems like he's talking about Thomas Paine, one of the founding fathers. In other words, although many Christian nationalists claim that all seven or all nine of the founding fathers here enlisted were evangelical Christians, the claim simply does not hold water. Unless one employs a rather creative definition of Christian that would never be welcomed in today's evangelical churches. So what we're seeing here, right? And this is, this is a common trend. The people that, that, that have the foresight and the thought to create a society, which is what these people did, they're generally kind of more of philosophers anything else right and, and and when you get down the rabbit hole when you when you start embracing like philosophical thinking it doesn't really dogma doesn't really do you any any good you've got to zoom out of that that's why one of the reasons i love alan watts so much alan watts is a great one of my favorite thinkers my favorite philosopher 
he's fantastic because he can zoom out and he can he can be irreverent when it comes to several different topics of belief systems because the the the, the practice there is to understand why people believe what they do and then find common threads throughout them, which is something I uh, respect and admire about him and something I try to apply to my own life. Um, so when we look at this separation of church and state, you know, as I said before, it may not be. Um, the best idea to really even adopt. And I, you know, I can sit here and be like, well, these people agreed with me because I see some things that say that they agree with more with my way of living. And it's like, well, maybe we should just make a practical decision about where we're at now and what works best now and what churches have become, right? Joel Osteen would not have been an appropriate figure in this time. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's not an appropriate figure now, but the idea that you can make these people out and, and do some revisionist history to make them into what you want them to be is 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 cruel and shallow minded and 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 short sighted and and incredibly problematic. I mean, when you start inviting uh, religion to guide the 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 nation through the lens of politics, like you're really opening up a can of worms. You were absolutely opening a can of worms. Like I align more with Buddhism than I do with any other belief system out there. Right. It just it speaks to me and I understand it resonates with me. And I hope that my Christian friends have that same experience with Christianity. I really do. I think it's important to have something that you can look to um, and learn from and the teachers of that religious belief, like resonating with you in a way. And I think much of it is a resonance. I would not want um, to force Buddhism into our government. I would like to see some more Buddhist politicians for sure. Right. So people that, that 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 I think embody those values. I'd love that. But that's not. It's not, it's not appropriate for me to try to project my religious beliefs through the lens of, of an of a organization that has a monopoly on violence, right? That, that's a slippery, slippery slope. It is very dangerous, and I don't understand why this is happening. Now, what I, I, I do want to say is, is what I think is happening here, and what it seems to be is that this is a very coordinated effort, and this is really good. The, the conservatives are very good at this. Liberals are awful at this, the modern liberals. Classical liberals, more so, but... Liberals are terrible at this, but what, what, what these conservatives will do is they'll push the Overton window, right? They'll broaden the Overton window into, into creating more acceptable thought. That way it makes their demands seem more reasonable, right? It's like, well, you know, we're going to ban abortion, but we really want to infuse church and state. And it's like, well, then your compromising place ends up being like, God, just fucking stop, you know? They're just making their demands seem more reasonable by pushing the over window further to the right. Right? And you saw some of that with people like Andrew Yang pushing um, the Overton window to the left, talking about UBI and things like that. Bernie Sanders talking about universal health care. Like that pushed the Overton window for sure. So we've got a broader Overton window, which really means that um, you got to have more critical thought. you got to have the capacity to critically think or else you're going to get captured by some crazies right, on either side. So we're, we're in a really strange place right now. But when we look at this whole thing, this like separation of church and state conversation is really important because um, – this could lead to real violence, like putting the 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 government being led by the church. It's like the, the you know it's the tail wagging the dog situation. Scary, very scary. Laws laws put on the books, right? Which are which are laws are really just guidelines for when violence is is acceptable or or, or literally like uh, <laughs> imprisonment, right? Like these are the consequences of laws or or imprisonment and violence, right? That's what happens when those things aren't followed. When those are constructed by a mythology, the founding fathers understood that's not a good idea, right? That's not a good idea. 
they saw that with a monarchy being part of the church. Like, that was not a good idea. It led to so many crazy fucking things happen because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And power coagulates. Like, I don't even think the, 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 the yearly prayer breakfast, the presidential prayer breakfast or whatever it's called, I don't even think that's appropriate. Right? I think we need sec- secular leadership and then a variety of free belief systems that, that, that are allowed to resonate with people as they should. Right? I'm pro-freedom. Charlie Kirk is not pro-freedom. Lauren Boebert is not pro-freedom, right? These people aren't, they're not pro-freedom. They like to say freedom because when it comes to COVID lockdowns, but they're not pro-freedom. So when you look at this whole thing, I think at the end of the day, we need to be honest about the fact that we don't really know what the founding fathers would have wanted. We don't really know because they're not here, right? We can read their diaries. We can read their letters. We can do all these things. We can read the constitution, but at the end of the day, we're having to interpret it. And to interpret what somebody else wanted who is no longer here is just creates a gigantic opportunity for bias to be the leading factor in our decision-making process. And that goes for the constitution that goes for religion that goes for self-help. It doesn't matter what it is, right? When you, when I, when I listen to Alan Watts, let's just go out here like somewhere neutral. I can really make him make it what he has to say. If I just pull some quotes, I can make him mean whatever I want him to mean, which can be good, right? Or it can be toxic. And having that that influence lead the government is a scary, scary thought. But something worth talking about. So let me know what you think. Let me know what you think. I'm available to hear you. So you guys know I like the outdoors. I'm a pro 2A guy. I like to hunt. I spend a lot of time in the fall. The fall is coming up super quick. I cannot wait to get out and chase elk on public land. Thanks to our good friend Theodore Roosevelt and uh, FDR as well. That family's done a lot to keep our public lands public. And, you know, when it comes to things like public shooting ranges, public hunting property, public water to fish, uh, public water to duck hunt on and, and waterfowl hunt on, um, all these public lands, you know, they're, they're not cheap. It takes a lot to put these together. I re- something I really appreciate about uh, the, the states, particularly out in the West, who have done a great job of preserving public lands. Uh, whenever that stuff gets bought up by a ski resort or some shit like that or some private whatever, it pisses me off. It frankly pisses me the fuck off. Um, and I wish we did more to, to, to pay for more access for, for, for hunters and, and, and fishermen to get out and do their thing. Um, and this is, this is a segment for all of my fellow outdoorsmen and outdoors women that like to, and even if you just like to hike and camp and get out, this is relevant to you. So let's check this out really quick. Congress, uh, Georgia Congressman introduces bill to repeal the Pittman Robertson excise tax. If passed, the bill could deprive state agencies of much needed conservation dollars. So it's funny how conservatives really don't understand the meaning of conservation. It is a common trend. It's really weird if you're an outdoorsman or a woman or non-binary outdoors person um, that generally speaking, the Republicans are going to defend your right to have weapons, right? And generally speaking, the Democrats are going to be the ones that are down to protect public lands. So you're really, it's one of the things that drove me to being politically homeless. I'm like, well, Trump wants to privatize all this land to remove access and drill the shit out of it, which a lot of public lands could be drilled on, no problem, right? And some not. It's not people when people say like, well, Trump wants to drill on federal lands. I'm like, well, which federal lands? Are we talking about a salmon hatchery here? Or are we talking about like some BLM land in eastern Colorado or or Utah or Montana? Like it's like that's like that that okay, that's a different thing. That's a different conversation. Right, federal lands aren't all created equal. That there's different uh, different propositions to be considered 
for each different type of federal land and why it's protected and why it's federal in the first place. So it's, it's, it's really like kind of a, a short sighted way to view things, but this is really, really important. Okay. So we're actually going to, this is, this is uh what's going on now. And this is an older article here from Meteor that ex- discusses exactly what the Pittman Robertson tax really does and where it goes. So we're going to read through this whole fucking thing, guys. We're getting into it. You're going to learn something today. We're learning a lot. We're going to do some history lessons today. I like this. During the Great Depression on February 3rd, 1936, President FDR called the first National American Wildlife Conference, which gathered over 2,000 conservationists in Washington, D.C. It was a bold move for, the, move for the president and a turning point for who pays for what in the conservation world. God damn, I love FDR. Um, my purpose is to bring together individuals, organizations, and agencies interested in the restoration and conservation of wildlife resources, President Roosevelt said in his opening remarks. Speakers at the conference also came from Mexico and Canada, presenting a united front on the idea of conserving lands, waters, and wildlife. Doesn't that seem great? I mean, government fucking sucks at a lot of things, but this is something that that the conservationists and the conservation uh, organizations do an amazing job of, and it is a hard job, and they deserve so much respect for preserving something that uh, that that really should mean a lot to us as a nation. We should have pride in our in our wildlife, in our waters, and our lands, um, and preserving them uh, for ourselves and for our future. President Roosevelt called for a constructive proposal and concrete action, pushing his colleagues to do more. And simply make speeches. After meeting for four days, the newly dubbed Wildlife Conservation Movement outlined their goals, the second of which was to acquire, for the purpose of conservation, adequate financial support from public funds. This is important, right? The background here is very important. A year later, in 1937, President Roosevelt signed into law the Federal Aid in Wildlife Restoration Act, which amazingly went from introduction to legislation, or excuse me, from introduction to signature in just 93 days. The monumental piece of legislation was dubbed the Pittman-Robertson Act after the lead sponsors of the bill, Senator Key Pittman and Representative Assalm Willis Rob- Robertson. The bill would set up a system in which the already existing 11% excise tax on the sale of firearms and ammunition would be directed to the United States Fish and Wildlife Service to fund all the necessary programs designed to meet the goals of new ideals of conservationism. Among them were wildlife refuges, wildlife research, private and public habitat management, and public access to land through land acquisition and easements. Decades later, hunter education and things like public target ranges became beneficiaries of the funds. Keep that in mind, right? Hunter education and public target ranges became beneficiaries of these funds. As time passed and the hunting and shooting sports evolved, several amendments were required to update the legislation, including an 11% tax on archery gear and a 10% tax on handguns and handgun ammunition. Pittman-Robertson was part of a sweeping reform that defined the era, era and remains a bedrock of the user-pays-public-benefits principle that has defined modern conservation. What does it mean today? According to the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, in 2017 alone, the state fish and wildlife agencies received over $629 million from Pittman-Robertson funds. The program has contributed over $11 billion since its inception. The excise tax revenue from, from Pittman-Robertson obviously doesn't come from sportsmen alone. There are millions of non-hunters that buy guns, ammo, and archery equipment. Nonetheless, their taxes get thrown into the pot. This is great news for wildlife, even if there continues to be a precipitous fall in hunting participation, as has been reported in recent years, those losses can be combated with more purchases at the gun counter. At least there are some options to keep states well-funded, and there is always hope that all Americans care about our wild animals and are willing to, at some level, pay up. 
Nowadays, purchasers of guns, ammo, bows, and arrows are not only presented with the excise tax they pay on their receipts, the tax is paid for the manufacturer from the manufacturers directly to the federal government. Companies like Vista Outdoors, owners of brands like Savage Federal Premium, CCI, have paid over $87 million to Pittman-Robertson funds in 2017. So that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that, that goes to something that is very expensive and very important. Consumers are not informed of the excise tax and hunting regulation handbooks or the like. Chances are there are a large part of the hunting population paying for conservation that has no clue. That brings us to the two questions every taxpayer has at some point. Where is the money going and how is it getting there? Um, to some perspective, on, on, to get some perspective on that is important to follow the money. It's essential to realize that the producer, manufacturer, and importer of, of pays the tax on the wholesale price of the product project subject to program funding. Those companies or individuals provide the payment that is then collected by the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau on firearms and the IRS on archery products. The funds are then deposited into the Wildlife Restoration Act, which is run by the USWS. The United States uh, Fish and Wildlife Service places the tax revenue in what is called the Wildlife Restoration Trust Fund and then distributes fund to states via a special formula. Now, I'm reading this all to you because it's really important to understand that the money gets taxed on the wholesale purchase, and then it goes straight into, right, via art, via the USWS, USFWS, excuse me, goes into this trust fund that then is distributed to the states based on their um, numbers, right? The formula basically has a system of filters and stipulations in order to determine how each dollar of the pot might be spent. First, one half of the access tax, excise tax on pistols is set aside to cover the cost of what is known as basic hunter education, which means safety programs and everything that, that it costs to have and maintain them. An additional $8 million goes into enhanced hunter education, which includes things like public target ranges. Next, another $3 million is appropriated for projects that require cooperation between multiple states. After a few other stipulations are considered, the remaining funds are divided in half on, uh, based on overall land area and paid hunting license per state as compared to the number of hunters nationally. Texas scores high in both these categories, for example. Texas Parks and Wildlife Department takes on average $16 million per year that comes from the Pittman-Robertson Fund and puts it back into conservation. This supports working with landowners and set an adhere goal, to set and adhere goals for habitat. This all wraps up in one pretty fine package. The cons, uh, consumptive user pays a tax. The federal government collects that tax and then thoughtfully distributes that money back to the states. The states make sure that they have an education group of hunters that have a place to hunt and animals to pursue. Okay, so we got an idea of what this is, where it came from, and why it matters. Now, let's hear the justification, right? Because we don't want a straw man. We don't want a straw man the conservatives here. That's not fair. Um, let's see here. For 85 years, the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act, also known as the Pip and Rogerson Act, has raised billions of dollars for wildlife research and habitat acquisition. The bill is funded by a 10 to 11% tax on hunting and fishing gear, including firearms, is arguably the most important source of conservation funding in the United States. With H.R. 8167, Representative Andrew Clyde of Georgia has taken aim at Pittman-Robertson, currently current funding in the name of Second Amendment rights. The bill is named Return, Repealing Excise Tax on Unalienable Rights Now or Constitutional Rights Act of 2022. It would eliminate the excise tax on guns, ammunition, archery, tackle, that fund Pittman Robertson. He introduced the bill on June 2022 with the support of 53 co-sponsors. Now listen to this shit, guys. In case many Democrat colleagues forgot, the Bill of Rights enumerates rights to which the government cannot infringe. 
Unquestionably, infringement exists when the government taxes those rights to limit the people's ability to excise them. Clyde, a freshman representative and gun shop owner, said in a press release, As assaults against American Second Amendment freedoms continue to emerge, so do the treacherous threats that keep that seek to weaponize taxation in order to price the constitutional rights out of the reach of average Americans. I firmly believe that no American should be taxed on their enumerated rights, which is why I intend to stop the left's tyranny in its tracks by eliminating the federal excise tax on firearms and ammunition. Okay, so let me just talk about this real quick. I grew up in a state, Texas, where there's not a lot of public land. Uh, there's not a lot of public shooting ranges. A lot of it's private. To sight in our rifles or go shoot, we had to go somewhere on some private land. There was a little bit of public land, but it was also super dangerous, and a lot of people just rode like four-wheelers and stuff out there. It was under a bridge, uh, the Murray Bridge, and we'd go down there and shoot sometimes, but it wasn't the safest thing in the world. Uh, and I would never let my kids do something like that because it's a little bit wild. Um, now, this is in response to a Democrat who tried to use reconciliation to put a 1,000% excise tax on AR-style Weapons. To that guy, whoever that person was, I want to say these two words. Fuck you. That's stupid and partisan. And that then opened the door to this Republican congressman, freshman, by the way, who's trying to get some attention, and 53 co-sponsors to sponsor this bill that would decimate conservation. What good is a gun if you have no place to go shoot it? Now he's saying he's claiming that it's a it's putting it out of reach of, of of average American citizens with average income. He's saying that. Do you know how much it costs to get a hunting lease in Texas? A good one? Twenty thousand dollars a year? Thirty thousand maybe? Or you can go to a trophy ranch and spend twenty thousand dollars on a single deer. Right? That's how it works in Texas. I mean, shit, I have a buddy down there. There's a guide, and I, it's like, hey, man, does anybody down there want to, they have ever allowed people to come down there and shoot antelope? Like, I know Texans don't really hunt antelope too much. He goes, yeah, 2500 bucks. I was like, fuck you. Because I can go drive an hour and a half to eastern Colorado and pay my $35 for my tag and go hunt antelope. Do I, am I as successful? No. <laughs> it's much harder. But at least I have access. Now, if I want to buy a private land voucher for elk, cost me about $2,000, maybe $3,000, and I might do that. Depends on how this year goes. But is that attainable for everybody? No, it's not. Because if you want to hunt and you don't have a ton of money, you can buy yourself a rifle for 500 bucks, a scope for a couple hundred bucks, maybe go the whole thing used for something like five or 600. You can get your tags for 40 or 50 bucks and go get after it on public land that is funded by things like the Pittman-Robertson Act. But that's not what conservatives want. They want to use this idea that they're helping the working class by taking away their access to shooting ranges and public hunting land. That's what they want to do. Make sure it's not maintained. Make sure it's not funded. So if you want to go duck hunting, yeah, your, your gun's going to be 10% cheaper. And you're going to spend $5,000 a year on a lease. So what, where's the net win here? Where's the net positive? It doesn't exist. And what's this guy's name? What's this dude's name? I forget his name. Um, Andrew Clyde, I have two words for you as well. Fuck off. Fuck off. Nobody minds paying a little bit more. A little bit more for access. And the guys that can afford the twenty dollars and $30,000 hunting leases, I'm not concerned with them paying 11% more on a firearm or a bow or arrows. 
I just bought new arrows the other day. $280. Have them all the way, all, all in. That's without broadheads. And you think I'm going to complain about 10% on top of that for conservation so I get to actually go out and hunt? No. Why don't you ask the real people who utilize these resources? This is the only kind of tax that I actually like. We see exactly where it goes. It goes from the wholesale directly to the states and is distributed based on data and understanding. The people that run, the conservationists who run these organizations are fucking smart and they work hard and it's a lot of work. And the conservatives have done, have done nothing. In Utah right now, they're trying to get rid of BLM land, which is a, a vital winter range for mule deer and elk, and put housing developments on it. Well, we're just going to build up all the winter range of all these animals? So that way they either get habituated with people or hit with cars? Is that how we want to live our life? Is that what we want to do? Is that where we want to go? Because that's what conservatives want. I hate it. I wish conservatives would fucking find a backbone and stand up for conservation. Because a lot of these motherfuckers that I meet out in the woods are their base. I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of those trucks I'm parked next to at 4 o'clock in the fucking morning on public land about to hike a mile to go shoot some fucking ducks, that's their fucking base. And they spit in their face with shit like this. They spit in their fucking face. I got a buddy I hunted with the other day. He's an Amazon warehouse worker from Louisiana. I hunted with him opening day of duck season last year. It wasn't the other day. It was a little while back. Hard-working guy. He works under 40 hours a week so that, uh, you know, so that Amazon doesn't have to pay for his fucking health care and brings home after taxes about $2,000 a month. Is that guy, is that guy going to have access to a fucking hunting lease if he wants to go hunt ducks? No, we were sitting by the edge of a public lake shooting ducks. I could get a lease if I needed to, and I'd invite him out there with me. But that's his, that's the conservative base, man. Hard-working, blue-collar people that want to get out and have a little fun on their days off. And you want to rob them of that over what? Over what? Fucking disgusting. Disgusting. Both of you, you fucking childish assholes. The Democrats that wanted that 1,000% tax and the conservatives that want to repeal this tax completely. Absolutely disgusting, guys. What are we doing here? You know? If you don't have public ranges, I mean, and here's the funny thing, too. Here's what gets me. I wanted to join, I'll put them on blast right now, Golden Gun Club. They have a long range. I wanted to shoot out to 600 yards. I wanted a place I could go consistently. Um, I've got another place I go to now, which is a friend of a friend's place. Um, it's really cool setup, but I wanted a place to go shoot. I wanted to get good at shooting out to 1,000 yards. It was something I really wanted. I started to kind of develop a passion for. In order to be a member of the hunting club, or the gun club, excuse me, I had to also be a member of the NRA, right? So these gun nuts who hate taxes wanted to tax me in the form of contributing to a lobby organization that I fucking despise to be a part of their club. The hypocrisy runs so deep. Hypocrisy is so deep. I mean, the conservatives need to understand that conservation and conservatism Come from the same root word, but they're not conserving shit. They're not conserved. They're more concerned with Mr. Potato Head being fucking trans than they are about conserving public lands. And they're going to make it a partisan issue. 
Here's the cool thing about public lands. If you're a super liberal hippie fuck with dreadlocks and you want to go camping and you've never touched a gun in your whole life, there's public lands for it. If you're a gun nut that wants to go out and shoot wild pigs or do whatever the fuck you want to do, you want to duck hunt, you want to deer hunt, you want to put a tree stand up, there's public land for it. And it's funded by the fact that you both like to do what you like to do. It's funded by fucking freedom. And conservatives will never be able to wrap their mind around that at all. At all. So by pretending to give a shit about people that don't have money, they're fucking people that don't have money. They're fucking their base. And it's absolutely disgusting. But it's what we've come to expect, isn't it? Now it's time for that part of the show where I give you something to think about. Doing a live later today on the on the gram, like I said, and um, I popped in. It's like, man, my I have a friend that's super bought into what whatever whatever's on Twitter is real life. <laughs> she won't even date a cis white man, and I was like, well, that's interesting. We all have those friends, right? That are that are um, losing it a little bit, right? They're patriots or they're Maoist, whatever it is. <laughs> it could be a million different things. And I got to thinking about that. I was like, that's really interesting. And, and also kind of understanding this idea that the Overton window has been broadened on both sides to where it's not tight anymore. There's, there's benefits to a tight Overton window. And if you don't know what an Overton window is, it's basically on the, on the scale of discourse. It's the, it's the acceptable section of discourse and public conversation. Right? That's kind of your Overton window. And now that's pretty wide. It's pretty broad, Right which creates a great opportunity for straw manning on both sides. And it creates a great opportunity. You would think that a broader Overton window would create more dialogue, but it seems, and I would have, that's my hypothesis would have been a broader Overton window creates more productive dialogue. Good thing. I would have been wrong. It seems like with a broader Overton window, all it does is freak people out and scare people into being, into only occupying a small section of this discourse. We don't have a pro-freedom party. We don't have a pro-freedom party in the United States. That does not exist. Maybe the Libertarian Party, but they're so small. A mainstream party, which is only two, right? The Democrats and the Republicans, the DNC and the RNC and their establishments, they, neither one of them are very pro-freedom. So it, does, it doesn't do them, there's no incentive for them to have a broad variety of, of discussions and a marketplace of ideas that doesn't do them any good. There's no incentive. And politics and life is a game of incentives. We have to look at it that way. And so the downstream effect of that is then siloing people. Even though the Overton window is so broad, it silos people into this. Too much people to understand and, and, and comprehend. It's much easier to think that Bernie Sanders is a socialist and socialism is bad. And it leads to Marxism or Maoism or whatever you want to call it, right? It's so easy to think that Donald Trump is a fascist and it, the January 6th thing was a coup. And to just leave it there because to, to actually investigate your own ideas and assumptions about who someone is and why they are that way actually involves effort. And we live in a low-effort society, mentally anyways. Physically, too. That's why people are generally obese. So when you look at this whole thing here, you would think that a broader set of ideas 
and a broader set of conversations would actually be beneficial, but it only works if the leadership, right, in your discourse embraces broad concepts, and we do not have that. That is why faith in institutions is waning. That is why we dislike each other so much. And what I want to encourage you to do, what I want you to think about is what are the areas in your life where you straw man, where you close somebody off, where you close off an idea? Have you actually taken the time to understand that idea deep enough, deeply enough to steel man it? If you're a hardcore libertarian, I want you to find the best reasons, the best justifications for Marxism. If you're a Marxist, I want you to go find the best reasons and the best justifications and the most valid beliefs within libertarianism. Right? As one example, if you're pro gay marriage, anti gay marriage, pro choice, anti abortion, whatever it is, find the most valid and most powerful points that your opposition has to be able to steal man that. Not so you can argue better, even though that is a it is an unintended consequence, but so you can have a better understanding and maybe be willing to understand where people are coming from and create a compromise. And in that way, you can be a change that I hope you want to see, unless you want to see a nation that's divided and at each other's throats constantly. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty fucking tired of that reality. But anyways, it's something to think about. Thank you guys so much for being here. Support our sponsors. Join the Patreon if you have the ability to. It's only six bucks a month. You spend more money than that on silly bullshit. And you can get involved in the conversation and help construct these podcast episodes and get that bonus episode every week and get early merch drops and all kinds of other shit. You guys are awesome. Patreon.com slash politically homeless. Keep your head on straight. Love you. See you next time. Bye-bye.